Hey guys, it's Allie. Welcome back to Infertile AF, the podcast. This is episode 50 called Samantha. On today's episode, I'm partnering with Circle Surrogacy. Circle is passionate about surrogacy and egg donation and helping people achieve their dreams of parenthood. Circle's team is made up of experienced surrogates, intended parents, and egg donors. In fact, about 40% of their staff has been parents, surrogates, or egg donors and has experienced IVF or adoption. This year, Circle will celebrate 25 years of making parenthood possible for heterosexual and LGBTQ individuals and couples. During that time, they've helped create more than 1,500 families and bring more than 2,000 babies into the world across the United States and across the globe. Circle is emotionally invested in every single journey and they partner with their surrogates, intended parents, and egg donors until they achieve success together. Their years of experience enable them to support their clients every step of the way and to navigate any bumps in the road with ease. You can learn more at circlesurrogacy.com or by emailing info at circlesurrogacy.com. Thanks, Circle. So guys, I'm so excited to announce that today is our 50th episode and have a really fun, huge interview for you. I'm super excited to share my conversation with Samantha Bush, who NASCAR fans might know as the wife of NASCAR champion Kyle Bush. And she is a boss babe in her own right. She's an entrepreneur, a wife, a mom, a lifestyle blogger, an IVF advocate, an infertility advocate. And she's just really, really cool. So she and Kyle started the Bundle of Joy Fund, which gives grants to couples in Charlotte, North Carolina, where they live. And so far, They've awarded 54 grants with 25 babies born and five more on the way. So today she's super open about everything that she's going through. We're going to talk about how they had their first son through IVF, how infertility has affected her marriage to Kyle, how she's dealt with going through all of this in the public eye. She's also going to talk about her devastating recent miscarriage, which just happened a few months ago. And then where they are now talking about possibly using a surrogate for their next kid. So I loved talking to her. She's super real. She called me from the road because they're always traveling somewhere. So Samantha, thank you for taking the time. Kyle, thank you. And what you guys are doing for this community is just incredible. So I'm going to link to Bundle of Joy on my Instagram so you guys can check it out. And without further ado, this is my 50th episode and our 50th infertility story. Samantha, hi, how are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm so good. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your crazy busy schedule. I really appreciate it. Um, Of course. I'm so excited to be on and talk with you today. Thank you. So I know that you have been very open about what you and your husband have gone through. So let's just start at the beginning. I'd love to hear how you guys met. Okay. Yeah. So um, gosh, it's been quite a while now. Um, I was going into my senior year of college at Purdue and I came from a very modest family. And so I worked about four jobs in college to help kind of pay with, you know, tuition and 
apartment rent and books and, you know, whatnot. And so on the weekends, I worked for a promo modeling agency and they would send me either on campus or to different local events. And so I got sent to the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. It was my first time at a racetrack. And Mm -hmm. my job was checking people's IDs for a ride along in like a pace car. So it wasn't a race car. I always tell people that because I didn't know who Kyle was. And so this lady came up and she was like, Hey, do you want to go for a ride? And it was about a thousand degrees outside. And I was like, yes, please. So I went for a ride and the guy driving and I had the same shirt on. And so I get in and I was like, dang, you got a better job than I did. You're in air conditioning. And he was like, what? He just kind of looked at me like I was, you know, crazy. And (laughs) as everybody knows now, Kyle's kind of more shy, quiet one of, well, no, he's very outspoken in racing, but in, yeah. in real life, he's a little more quiet. And so I kind of rambled for the whopping two minutes we were together about, you know, school and being at a racetrack. And then we were going out to the bars at night. Um, so I was mm-hmm. like, do you want to come? And he was like, no, I'm busy. I was like, no, okay, whatever. Did you and know so him, who he was at that point or you still didn't really? No. Okay. No, I thought he's a promo boy. That's so. amazing. I was like, because, you know, he was kind of flirting. And then I asked, hey, come with us. He's like, I'm busy. I was like, okay. Well, I didn't know he was racing. And so the same lady who I found out later was his PR girl. um, was like, hey, can you get your number? And I was like, well, that's weird. Like, why didn't he just ask me? B, he like shot me down for tonight. And so everybody thought I was just like crazy, not knowing who he was. So then he told me who he was. And I was like, oh, crap. Like I've dated a bunch of frat boys and they were a bunch of players. Like, what is an athlete going to be like? So <laughs> I was like, eh, yeah. So we talked on the phone actually for like four months until we both like felt each other out and everything. And then we went on our first date and then we continued dating. And then all throughout my senior year, he was flying to Purdue, you know, when he could during the weeks, I was flying to the racetracks on the weekend. And yeah, so then I graduated and moved to Charlotte. We got engaged. I got my master's online there. We started a truck team and that was like over a decade ago now. So (laughs) yeah, yeah. I I feel like I'm young until then. (laughs) Totally. And I love that you are, you know, you've said this, I've been watching Racing Wives, which I have to say I love. And also my four-year-old son, who I had through IVF, loves it as well because he obviously loves all the cars and stuff. But we were watching it this morning and he's like, mom, those women are very beautiful. And I was like, I, oh, know. <laughs> I thought so you were going to tell fan. me you love Brexton's dinosaur party. Well, yes, that as well. But he loves the women too. So <laughs> did you and Kyle, once you guys got engaged and everything, had you talked about building a family and having kids? Yeah. I mean, it was kind of just always something, you know, we knew we would do when the time was right. And for us, you know, we got married. It was kind of that time. I mean, I'm sure you remember like all your friends start getting married and engaged and we were too. And then all your friends started having kids and we were like, you know what? Like, I think we could do this. I think we're ready. We were both super confident. I mean, my gosh, I was like 26. I was young. Mm -hmm. Um, he was 27, 26, 27. So all my friends, you know, they got pregnant really easy. They had great pregnancies, healthy babies. And we kind of were so young and doing this whole NASCAR circuit and living this fairy tale. And we never, ever expected to have any problems. So right. yeah, it was, it was rough. Tell me about when you guys started to try and what happened. 
Yeah. So we just decided we're like, okay, you know, like there's never really the perfect time. So we feel good about where we are in racing. And I had gotten my master's and we had started our businesses and we're like, okay, everything's running really smooth. Like let's do this. And so of course I was on you know, Pinterest with already doing my baby announcements, right. nursery, <laughs> had everything planned out because I'm the most OCD type A person. We both are. <laughs> and so I was on birth control for quite a while. Um, so I, you know, I knew I knew it would take some time and a few months went by and then a few more months. And then I called my OBGYN. They were like, oh, well, if it's not a year, don't worry. More months went by and I was like, okay, you know, it's almost been a year. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't don't really think it should take this long. And, you know, kept calling the doctor, kept getting the standard wait a year. And then right around the year mark, I was having just like hair loss and acne. And then one day I just started bleeding terribly. And um, so I was like, okay, something's going on. I don't know what it is. And finally got the doctor to see me. And they ran a bunch of tests and they confirmed that I had PCOS. Mm. Um, And so that was kind of shocking to hear. I never knew anything was wrong. I mean, I knew that my periods were out of whack, but, you know, you hear so many things, the stress, the travel, Mm -hmm. the this, the that. So I never thought, I mean, I still had a period, so I never thought that much into it during it, you know? Um, and we were doing all those little at home ovulation kits and they were saying I was ovulating. Hmm. So once I found out I had PCOS, asked OBGYN what to do and they put me on Clomid. Mm -hmm. I was a disaster. Yes. I know (laughs) on your Instagram, which is so amazing because you are such an open book and it's so entertaining and it's also really touching and you know, it's all the things, but you did, you talked about the Clomid crazies. So I love that. I know a lot of people who are listening have gone through that. What? How did it affect you? Yeah. Um, well, I'll save some, some of it's in the book, but I'll give you one of the stories. Um, okay. So we were watching, it was a rain delay uh, at a racetrack and I was flipping through the TV guide and found Titanic. So, you know, we, we put it on and it gets to the part, obviously, you know, like where the mom's taking the kids in bed and the, and the boat's going under and then the old people are holding each other and, I'm just hysterical, like mm-hmm. beyond hysterical. And I look over at Kyle and he's literally like half asleep yawning. It's like, I lost it. I literally lost it. I was like, I can't believe we're married. I don't think you know what love is. You're so heartless. And he was like, you know, the boat sinks. And I was like, okay, so what? You're telling me you wouldn't give me the door? Like you were going to let me die? I can't believe you. You are such an asshole. I cannot be married to you. I cannot have children with you. Like... Hysterically screaming, crying. Uh I mean, just an epic disaster. Uh And that happened often. It's like you can't control yourself. There's so much rage and emotions, and it's not you, it's all these hormones that um, finally, after five months, my family like staged an intervention and they were like, Five months on the Clomid? Yeah, they were like, No. we don't know who you are anymore. Um, I was starting to get depressed and it was hard because in public, I would have to be the right person, right? So you say the right things, you smile, you take pictures with the fans, you do appearances. And 
you get asked a million times why during this NASCAR baby boom, we don't have kids. And then I would just come home and, Mm -hmm. and break down. And so, um, finally, I mean, I'm not going to lie at this point, I was having some difficulties with the doctor where I was at. Um, Mm -hmm. they recommended I drink more water at one point and I was like, really? Yeah. Thanks. (laughs) Really? I'm really feeling like that's not my issue. Um, Uh and so, Finally, and this is something I didn't know at the time and I educate people on now, I thought you have a referral to -hmm. go to a fertility clinic and um, found out that you did not. Mm -hmm. So we went to the fertility clinic and the first thing they asked, they said, well, has Kyle been tested? And I was like, no, no, I'm the one with the problem. And they're like, excuse me, it's been over a year and a half and nobody's tested Kyle's sperm. Like Mm, nobody's recommended that. Yeah. Uh-huh. And so sure enough, he got tested and had, you know, low sperm and not great quality. Mm-hmm. So they were like, you're not making mature eggs. He doesn't have, you know, very many viable sperm. So IVF is your only option. Like you guys were, have did well over a year and a half of trying because we didn't have the right answers. And so now I'm a huge advocate for people speaking up, yes. asking asking for ultrasounds. If, if they won't do a blood test going online, there's a bunch of different at-home blood tests that you could get sent to you so that you could at least give it to your doctor and be like, no, this is showing that something's wrong. Completely. How did you feel when you know they said, why don't you test his sperm? And you hadn't even, like you said, that hadn't been suggested to you before. Were you pissed? I would have been mad. Like, Why didn't anyone think of this? We've been wasting all this time and you know, we I could have done over, this months ago. Exactly. I was overwhelmed. And you have to remember, this is like seven plus years ago. So mm-hmm. it wasn't talked about like it was now. Like Instagram wasn't this huge thing Same that thing. it was. And there weren't celebrities as much speaking out about it. It wasn't in the mainstream media. So I just felt lost and I felt really embarrassed when I thought it was just me, like almost ashamed. Like Mm. I'm a woman, I'm supposed to be able to have a child. All Mm -hmm. my friends and family are having kids. You know, what is this doing to our marriage? And so, yeah, when, when we got to the fertility clinic and got the answers that we needed and that we could have had right away, I was just super frustrated. But then on the flip side, knowing that Kyle also was part of our problem. It was like we were in it as a team. Um, So it took some of that anxiety and weight of, you know, being the cause of not being able to have a child just on my shoulders. And it was both of us. So I felt like for my psyche at the time, I needed that because I was just so hard on myself during it. Yeah. I'm sure it took a bit of the pressure off, right? Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. And I talked to him about it. And he said, he was like, you know, because we had your diagnosis first and then found out mine and got an answer right away. He was like, I didn't really, it didn't phase me. He was like, but if there had been nothing wrong with you and the whole time it had been me, and then you would have had to face all the shots and medicines of IVF. He was like, that would have been really hard for me to watch you go through that knowing it was because of me. And so that's one thing in the book I start trying to help couples go through is there's no blame game there. It doesn't matter who has the issue. Like you guys are a team at the core of this. And, and so just trying to help partners take away some of that guilt that I know, I know exactly how that feels. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
If you don't mind, can we go into, and you can say as little or as much as you want, but can we go into a little bit more about how it did affect your relationship? Because I've been very open about with my husband and me, you know, we had one daughter naturally, no problems. And then I had secondary infertility with my son and it was very, very hard on our marriage. And I've been really open about that. So I think it's important to talk about that because it is hard. And I know a lot of people are going through that. So if you don't mind, you know, how was it on you and Kyle and what were some of maybe the lower points and then how did you guys get through them? Yeah. So we can talk about it now and then also after the miscarriage, because that was very difficult for us. Um, But when we were struggling to conceive and to have Brexton, it was just hard because I didn't even recognize myself anymore. I felt like just a shell of my old self because I'm very bubbly and outgoing. And I found myself not wanting to go out because I, I couldn't deal with people asking questions of when we were going to have a child. And with all the hormones and obsessiveness over having a, a child, it was like, you know, making love was gone. It was just a job. It was a chore. It was so much pressure. And I felt like the littlest thing would set me off and that was hard. And then it would set Kyle off. And so it was just, you know, fights over nothing fights because we were both so frustrated with not being able to get pregnant that we would just pick fights with each other over stupid stuff like dishes, laundry, doesn't matter. Just because you were so angry. And another thing that I'm a huge advocate for now and I started doing after our miscarriage is seeing a therapist, um, whether in person or on the phone, because I find your friends and family want to tell you all the right things, but you just need like an objective third party to help you sort through your emotions. And mm-hmm. and I think that would have helped Kyle and I when we were trying to conceive is just talking more about how upset we were about it instead of just snapping, you know? Mm-hmm. Completely. Yeah. And I think when you argue with, with somebody, it's because you're in pain, right? So you're like in all of this pain and it's affecting your relationship. Oh, completely. I mean, just so much anger with the situation. And, and it's another thing I talk about often is jealousy. And you don't want to say like, oh, you're jealous of your friends, but be lying if I said I wasn't, you know, mm-hmm. going to baby showers and seeing all these announcements on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. Yeah. It, I mean, it, it hurts. Like yeah. you want that so badly. And it's like, you're trying everything. You're trying every sex position, every natural supplement, right. every timed ovulation, yep. everything. And it's not working and it's hard. It's hard for people to deal with. Yeah. I'd love if you don't mind too, to go into a little bit more about being in the public eye and going through this. I'm sure that added just a whole nother layer of stress. So can you talk about that a little bit more and how that even you know added more, more pressure to the whole situation? Yeah. So I feel like now I know who I am. I'm 33, almost 34. I'm confident without worrying about other people's opinions. But back then, you know, you, I didn't have that confidence and I didn't know how to handle when people are like, well, why aren't you guys pregnant yet? What's happening? And so it took us a while. And, and one piece of advice I give to people is Kyle and I finally came up with a statement that each of us felt comfortable saying, Mm, um, good. Yeah. So that we weren't 
caught off guard anymore um, because it happened so often. And it was hard though. I mean, we would have to go to appearances or sponsor events or Mm -hmm. races. And it was during this huge NASCAR baby boom. Everybody was pregnant, Mm -hmm. babies everywhere. And it was so hard um, to just smile and be like, oh, you know, one day or, right. oh, we're kind of busy right now, but we do want a family and and to just have to lie and lie and lie. And I think that's why it, it was so much pressure that I finally was like, you know what? Nope. Nope. When we're going through this again and where we are now, I'm like, I'm laying it all on the table because mm-hmm. I would rather be honest and, you know, just tell it like it is versus doing this fake smile, happy go lucky when you don't feel that way. It's, it's mentally exhausting to have to pretend for people. Mm -hmm. Um, and I was like, I I can't do it ever again. Yeah. So when did you guys come up with the statement and what was it? So we came up with the statement probably around month seven or eight. And, um, you know, Kyle would just say, well, practice is going well and like laugh it off like a guy. And right. I would just say, oh, you know, one day just, we're not quite there yet, but one day, okay, just, you know, something. And then uh, some of our family knew and our friends, we, we didn't go into too much specifics with them. Um, but like my, my mom knew we were actively trying, but also whenever anybody wanted to like her, she'd be like, do you want to talk about it? Like, nope. Don't want to talk about it. Right. It just was, and which is silly because I needed to talk about it, but it's just like you, you were so embarrassed like you felt so alone. And um, that's why when we started seeing a therapist, I was like, oh, this is great. Like there's no having to pretend that it's not as bad as it feels or anything. It's just somebody you can unload on, you know, with no judgment, a third party that has no dog in the fight. Right. Exactly. And nobody that like, so your mom or your best friend, like they're going to feel bad for you and they're going to want to fix it. And they're going to take some of the weight of it too. And I didn't want to put that on anybody else. And so mm-hmm. that's why I love therapists. Cause it's like, here, let me burden you with all this for a little bit. Right. Absolutely. So I love that you, you know, you were talking about and being totally honest about it. So when you finally came out with it and just kind of decided to tell the world, did it feel like a huge weight had been lifted or how did that feel? It did. So I can back up. So we decided to go through IVF. The doctors told us that was the only way that we would be able to hopefully conceive. So we went through the whole IVF process and it went, you know, as good as could be expected because of my PCOS, we collected 34 eggs and then we had, yeah, huge number. People with PCOS, a lot of times have more in their egg retrieval, but a lot of them obviously weren't mature enough. So Mm -hmm went down to 15 embryos and then 11. And then we did genetic testing. And what's ironic about genetic testing is that we did it because the doctor was like, you know, this tells us if your embryo is like healthy to have a viable pregnancy and it helps prevent miscarriages and all that stuff. And Mm -hmm. so we were like, yes, because I was like, I, my mind, my psyche right now will not be able to handle a miscarriage after everything that we've been through. Right. So we did that and we had eight healthy embryos. Um, And so right away, first time we, you know, put Brexton in, he took. Mm -hmm. Was it a a fresh transfer or did you do frozen? 
frozen. My doctor okay. likes frozen. He says you give the body a month to just yes. chill after all of the hormones and the stress of egg retrieval. Yes, that's um, exactly what my doctor said too. I did the same exact thing. Yeah. And, and honestly, I needed it. I was so swollen after egg retrieval and coming up and down off of those hormones. Um, when I was going through it, my dose was a little bit too high. And so for like two days, I was just so sick, couldn't get out of bed, like felt like I got hit by a bus. Um, and so I just felt like, you know, my body needed to kind of flush all that, have some time off, recuperate. And then we did frozen transfer with Brexton everything went perfect. And then we had him May 18th of 2015. Okay. So if you don't mind, can we unpack that a little bit? So you had the transfer. What what was that phone call when you found out that you were pregnant with Brexton? So it's funny. Actually, I could not wait the full 12 days. Okay. Again, <laughs> a lot of people OCD can't. Makes sense. Type a. Yeah. Um, so day eight, we took a pregnancy test together and it was positive and it was just the most overwhelming excitement, just tears of joy and like unbelievable. We had tried so long to mm-hmm. get pregnant and, and to just have it finally happen was just, it was surreal. Right. Um, How long had it been up until that point? So you started trying, you said when you were like around 26, I believe. I think we tried almost a little under probably two years at that point. Okay. It's a long um, time. It's a lot of yeah, months. I think it was under two years because mm-hmm. it was about a year we tried natural then we did the Clomid. Then, you know, we had to do all the testing. Then we had to do the egg retrieval and then the transfer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it would have been under two years, but still it felt like yeah. eight years. It's a long time. Point. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. 20 years. Yeah, exactly. And so it was, it was just so exciting. And I mean, we could not have been more grateful and just pure joy. And, you know, it's, it's interesting um, now knowing what we've gone through the next two rounds, people are like, oh, were you ever nervous? And I was like, I, it never even crossed my mind that we would have a miscarriage. You know what I mean? And it yeah. never did with Brexton. Like that we, we told people, we did a public announcement, I think at nine weeks with okay. Brexton. Uh-huh. Well, part of the reason too was I was so, so sick. I had to go to infield care here at the racetrack. Oh my God. And there was some people, I, I literally couldn't keep anything in, down, uh-huh. nothing. And so I had to go get fluids, but the doctor comes in and there was, you know, like NASCAR people in there and, and we were being real hush hush, like, I have the flu, wink, wink. And um, he was like, the baby's great. Everyone oh like, is shouting it. And we're like, <laughs> and so there was like a little bit of rumbling. And I was like, oh, hell no. Nobody's going to know I'm pregnant until I get to do my announcement after yes. waiting this long. Yeah. So we announced at nine weeks of Brexton. Oh my God. Yeah. You're like, we have to get ahead of this. I want to be the one. Yes. Oh. Yeah. I was like, there is no way that yes. else is going to announce this. So the pregnancy went well and tell me about the delivery and everything. Oh yeah. Um, so I really wanted a midwife. I just wanted, we delivered in a hospital, but I just really wanted a midwife, like to have that special connection. And so we had a midwife through our whole pregnancy and everything went great. I was super sick from like week five to 13. And then after that, it felt great, you know, and then 
had Brexton and that was rough. <laughs> in what way? Wow, they don't prepare you for that, which is also why in the book I'm putting every detail down. Uh-huh. Um, so because of our crazy race schedule, we induced on a Monday, like the day after, before our, our official due date. Mm-hmm. And um, so they pump you full of that Pitocin. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's not terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, and so my midwife was like, you cannot eat. You cannot eat. And I was like, okay. All right. Well, we had gotten in there at 7 a.m. And, you know, they start you on all that. And I think it was around two-ish. They broke my water all that. And I was like, man, I am starving. I'm really hungry. So she walked out and I had an apple, felt fine. Then, you know, it was still taking a while. Oh, in the middle of that, I tapped out at like eight centimeters and it's like, I need an epidural right now. Uh This is so stupid. Give me an epidural. tapped out. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. So we did all that and I felt great. So then I ate a protein bar Uh and I ate some pretzels and Uh all this stuff. So it finally gets around to like eight o'clock at night and they're like, okay, everything's ready. We're going to start pushing. Like you've been working out the whole time. This is going to go so easy. And I was like, okay, here we go. I start pushing and I would literally go push, push, lean over, throw up, get oxygen. Oh no. Again. Yeah. And, no, it was before eight o'clock we started. I'm sorry. Cause he was a uh, 9.45. I pushed for three hours. Okay. Um, like hardcore grunting, screaming, stuck in me, pushing mm-hmm. while vomiting almost the whole time. And then oh it was God. actually at hour like two, two, two and a half ish. I started like having an exorcist moment where like it was just projectile, like vomit could not. And my midwife was like, you ate, didn't you? And I was like, I sure did. I was so hungry. <laughs> And she was like, keep throwing up. I can see the head. Cause like, you know, when you throw up, you push. And oh yeah. <laughs> it's like, working. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is a disaster. Like, oh poor my Kyle God. like is changing out puke buckets. Um, I had Kyle and my mom in the room. Um, and then my midwife and a nurse. And so, yeah, after three hours, he finally came out and he had this cone head. Like, <sighs> <laughs> a real cone head. And so I was just, Kyle and I were crying because, you know, we we're like so excited and yeah. he was so cute. He like let out this little cry and then they instantly put him on my skin and he just like stopped crying and snuggled down. And then I was crying. I was like, oh my gosh, did I like hurt his head? Like what? It, yeah. I mean, it was a perfect cone. And they're like, no, 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 it'll go back. Don't yeah, worry. Yeah. Oh, um, and it was just so great and surreal. And I will just, never like I'm sitting here with a huge smile on my face like when they laid him on my chest and mm. Kyle had his arms around me and he didn't cry he didn't bust he just like snuggled down and was like so content it was amazing oh, amazing he's such a cutie so how old is he now and he's got his own Instagram with like 25,000 oh, followers yeah. he's so cute uh, he's four and a half now four and, a half. and okay, yeah almost the same as my son yeah um, it, time flies and and what's crazy is Kyle had actually gotten in a wreck 
a racing wreck when I was 28 weeks pregnant and went back racing the week that Brexton was born. So he came right on the road with us right away. Mm -hmm. And to this day, he travels awesome. He's a trooper. He's, yeah. And he's the coolest. I love that day drinking yeah. shirt that you had at <laughs> the, the beach. Juice box on it. Yeah. Juice box. That was so cool. Yeah. So he's a cool. fly kid. He's pretty, he's fun. I love this age. I mean, I've loved every age, but this age, the fact that like, he's just down to go anywhere and up for any adventure. He's so yeah. much fun. What a cool life he's got. Yeah. He, um, I mean, he obviously loves racing, but yeah. he's not afraid of anything. And, and he's just always, I'm like, Rex, you want to go hike? You want to go do this? You wanna? He's like, yeah, mom, let's do it. Let's do it. So awesome. he's really fun. That's awesome. So tell me, when did you guys, you know, decide to start trying again and, and what happened then? Oh boy. Yeah. I thought the first part was a disaster. Um, <sighs> this was really awful. So we said, as soon as Brexton's close to getting out of diapers, mm -hmm. we're going to go through it again. And so by this point, we had started the Bundle of Joy Fund, which is just right now through the REACH Clinic in Charlotte, where we had Brexton, the IVF clinic, uh -huh. um, we pay for people to go through IVF. We realized when you know, we were going through all this that when they hand you that astronomical bill of upwards of $20,000 sometimes, um, that's the end of the road for a lot of people. Like yeah. they have their answer, but it's not something that you could really save for in a small period of time. Um, right. And so that broke our hearts and we we're like, okay, obviously God put us through this for a reason. Mm -hmm. obviously it was for something big. And so we knew right then it was to start this foundation and to be an advocate for the infertility community. And so mm -hmm. to date, we've, we have 25 babies born and five more on the way. Oh my God. And I read yeah. that it was 16. So there's more than since I did. Okay. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. And we've granted close to three quarter of, three quarters of a million dollars at this point, almost. Wow. Yeah, That's so we're so super awesome. proud of it. Um, so awesome. We've been to DC lobbying on behalf of this community about insurance coverage. Yep. We have gone and, you know, we're working with pharmaceutical companies and trying to get major sponsorship. Our goal is one day to take over more clinics, but people always ask why we don't. And it's because just at one clinic alone, each mm -hmm. round, we're able to help save five to eight couples, whatever it might be, um, depending on, you know, different people need different sponsorship and grants, but we turn down 40 others You're right. because yeah. of finances. Cause it's so expensive Yeah, and it's not fair. It's not fair that hardworking people, the, the majority of people that we help are nurses, mm -hmm. police officers, mm -hmm. firefighters, military, blue collar workers, just hard working people that make amazing parents and because they chose to serve their community instead of a higher paying job or something mm -hmm. else, mm -hmm. they don't get that chance. And that's not fair. It's not yeah. fair. It's not right that it is the year that it is. Infertility is classified as a disease and yet insurance for most people does not step in and help. It, right. is, it makes me so angry. Yeah. So going back to the story, so we were already at this point had told our story with Brexton. We were getting heavily involved in this community and just doing everything that we could to educate people. Like I said, I, I always tell women starting out, you know what? Ask your doctor for just an ultrasound and a blood test and those and get your husband tested. Because if 
if you can do those three things, you can save so much heartache. And then actually a doctor at um, the fertility clinic that we work with, she said, what's interesting and what they try to educate some OBGYNs on is that year rule is kind of dated from six months to a year, only 10% more of people who haven't conceived will conceive. So their rule is more six months. If after six months of active, real trying, like making sure you're ovulating, doing all that stuff, you haven't gotten pregnant. It's, it's time to do something about it. But anyway, so when we decided to go for the son, a daughter, cause we mm-hmm. found out the sex of our, I like to call them M babies instead of embryos. I love um, that. Yeah. We were like, okay, we're gonna be super public about this. Like this is going to be our chance to really bring people in through the process educate them so they don't feel alone. We were making videos about PCOS and how to give shots and Mm -hmm. what not to do during it. And here's what, you know, the embryo transfer day looks like. And sure enough, we did the embryo transfer and did the three rounds of testing. And I was pregnant. The numbers were climbing. Everything was great. Mm -hmm. Um, Since we had brought people on this journey, they knew like, okay, they know if they're pregnant or not. So it was at five weeks. We did this video on Thanksgiving. We mm-hmm. announced that we were having a daughter. Mm-hmm. And um, a week later, we lost her out of nowhere. I'm so um, sorry. And it, um, I mean, my gosh, it's been a while and it, mm-hmm. it's still, it's hard to talk about. It's, yeah, it's, it's sad and frustrating. And even though I've made some peace with it, like I'll never get to watch her grow up. I'll never get to know her. Like Mm -hmm. I was supposed to. Mm -hmm. And it's hard. I'm sorry. It's just, you know, people will say things like, well, at least you weren't that far along. Well, you know what? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And I hate when people say that. And I try to educate people, please don't say that to people because I don't care if you were four weeks, four months, nine months, it hurts. It Mm -hmm. hurts. And yeah, so we experienced a miscarriage out of nowhere. Unfortunately, had to go to Kyle's huge end of the year banquet. Mm-hmm. and went and put on a smile and pretended like nothing was wrong and then announced it after. And, and people asked, like, well, why did you go? And I was like, Here, here's why. First of all, I was losing it. And mm-hmm. if I sat in a hotel room by myself, like, it just panicked me to be alone. Yep. And second of all, if I didn't show up on that red carpet with Kyle, what you know, people were going to be like, what happened? Mm-hmm. You know, are they getting divorced? Did something happen to the baby? And I was like, I can't take the rumors. And it wasn't fair because another driver had won. And I was like, that's not fair for that other driver to like have their day oh. like taken away by the media being like, well, what's happening? Like right. what's going on? Cause you know, that's what happened. That's right? just, like, Samantha, that is a testament to how amazing you are as a human being well, though, that you would you even know, think that, of that because not many people would think, consider that. So the fact well, that you did is just thank great. You. It was Kyle and I sat down and we're like, what the hell are we going to do? And, right. and he was the one who said it too. He was like, look, if we don't do, if he was like, I have to go, you know, there's like, it's, it's a requirement. And he was like, if you don't go, 
a million things are going to spark, right? Like, because I had already posted like, oh right. my gosh, I'm wearing a teal dress. So like, he was like, we don't need that on top of this. He was like, we're going to go, we're going to be strong. And what sucked even more was it happened on Tuesday and I had severe bleeding, like bleeding, like I didn't even understand could happen, like clotting. And I just obviously never had miscarriage. I didn't know what that was like. And then Tuesday night, it was like the faucet turned off and we obviously had gone into the doctor and they're like, okay, your cervix is actually closed. We see her. She's not as big as we would like, but we see her in there still. Cause I had thought with those massive clots, I was like, surely she's in one of them. And it was mm. so horrific. Like I was wrapping them up, save them to show yeah. the doctor. And then right. wondering like, are you wrapping up your chat? It was just, it's very, oh, yeah. very yeah. hard. Yeah. Um, and so then I stopped bleeding and they're like, okay, it's a threatened miscarriage. And the doctor was like, I don't want to give you hope because she does look really small. And he was like, but she is still in there and you've stopped bleeding and your cervix is closed. Mm-hmm. So he was like, you need to go run a bunch of blood work. And so the blood work that they ran in office, they were like, it's lower, but it's not that far off. Like we would like to see it higher. He was like, but I'm still calling it a threatened miscarriage. He was like, I think it's going to happen. But like, I can't tell you definite. So then Wednesday, no bleeding. Thursday morning, got up, went to a clinic in Vegas for blood work and actually then found out literally in the middle of hair and makeup for the banquet that the numbers had fallen off. And oh. so I was like, you know what? I closed down. I was like, nope, I'm, nope, nope, nope. Like I can't do it. She's still in there. I'm not going to do it went down, did the red carpet, smiled, did everything right, was in like a whole daze. And then we went back and we, Kyle was like, you know, like, should we talk about it? What do you want? I was like, nope, I can't face it yet. Like, I just like, didn't want, I was just like pretending it, it wasn't real. Yeah. And then we went to the sand dunes, which is like something our family does. And it's right. very, very secluded. And that's where we had like four days and we cried and mourned and I yeah. finished bleeding and it was disastrous. And the most disastrous part was that we had to tell Brexton. Right. And of course, people like to give their opinions. We are very open and honest with him. We explained when we were starting to have his sister, we let him ask questions. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of people like to tell me he was too young. He didn't need this. And I was like, we were family, we're a unit. Mm-hmm. And we had to explain to him that his sister is in heaven mm-hmm. and you know, that we love her and she loves us. And like one day we'll get to see her, but she's not going to be here now. And that yeah. was hard for him. I'm it sure. was, he still talks about it every evening when we pray. It, it didn't affect him like where he was crying, but he is just disappointed no, because I think the thing is all his friends have siblings, but him. Mm-hmm. And so he gets disappointed when he doesn't have a sibling at like holidays or church or at the park, like everybody else does. But I'm of so, the same camp as you. And I think that it's wonderful that you were so honest with him all the way along. And the people that think he's too early, it's none of their damn business. This is your family, yeah. you know, yeah, and it's your family. You do it your way. We just didn't want to lie or to hide stuff. And yeah, I, I think mean, it's great. He had to give me shots on the plane in front of him. Like there was no hiding that. 
Kids are smart. Um, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so then going through marriage stuff again, it was really hard at first, you know, we were grieving together, um, and there for each other, but then Kyle was in the mindset of like, okay, this has happened and it's sad and it sucks, but we have to move on. Yeah. And I could not physically, emotionally, mentally move on. And so that caused a lot of tension because I wanted to talk about it every day and I went and every day I was upset and he was like, okay, we have to move on. And so then I was like, how dare you? Like how we can't move on. Like we can't ever forget about her. And he's like, I'm not saying we're going to forget about her, but we have to start picking up the pieces. And, and it was, it was a lot of tension Mm -hmm. and it wasn't until finally we went to a therapist to be like, okay, like we're fighting all the time. This is not good. And, you know, um, we, we had two different therapists, one, um, here and then one on the phone and, and the one here was more marriage and how to like communicate better. And then the one on the phone is who I work with more directly. And she deals specifically with infertility and miscarriage and was able to kind of pinpoint like, here's why you guys are fighting. Cause at the time we couldn't figure out that he was moving forward and I was stuck. And that was a big source of our fighting. Right. And so again, this is why I talk about a therapist because you need that third party to objectively hear your story and mm-hmm. help you walk through it and grow from it. So we got through all that. Yeah. And then this off, so the end of last year, again, fall time, we decided to try again. Mm-hmm. And this time I was like, okay, I, I was still like going to therapy and I, I was, you're never over a miscarriage, but I was functioning as a human being, right. you know? And I was like, I just, I I love everybody in this community, but, and I'll tell them again, but our story, like the process isn't different, you know? So I was like, let's just do it on the down low. Right. And then if we are pregnant and, you know, we'll still be open for people to have questions. And it, it sucked because for me, I was like, damn it. I feel like a hypocrite. Like I want to be this voice for the community and here now the third round I'm like doing it kind of hush hush but then I realized that it's almost better because then you could tell people like you know what you might do things one way one time and then another way another time and it just has to be how you're feeling and I think people want to have their feelings match how they're quote-unquote supposed to be right And, and when I try to tell people when they're like, I feel depressed or I feel sad or I feel angry or I feel this or I feel that, like you're supposed to feel all those things. Like mm-hmm. you're not crazy. You're not a bad person. There's nothing wrong with you. Like feel how you need to feel. And, and you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. I, I, people are just so ready to tell you, like, get over it right. or stop being sad or do this, do that. And and you can't, you can't listen to anybody else. Like you no. have to go through your journey. What's best for you and your family at that time. Absolutely. Um, and I love that you say that about the third round, you know, yeah. the third time going on the download, because I think you had to kind of protect yourself at that point And you knew that, and you were like authentic to that for yourself. So I think that's a good lesson for people is do what's best for you. Because if you're not feeling great and healthy, it's not going to work anyway, you know? So, right. You can't and, put the other people's feelings ahead of your own. So I'm glad that you did that. 
it was hard and it was hard for us um, because we are in public and there was right. all this murmuring of what's wrong, what's off, what's going on, what's this, what's that? Because, you know, the first time we went through it, it was like excitement, nerves and excitement, but like we had an answer and we were going to do it. Mm -hmm. The second time I had the most confidence ever of like, God has me going through Mm -hmm. this and like, I'm going to be this advocate and here's our story. Let me help so many people. And, and, and then the third time I was like, Oh my God, Oh my God, Oh my God, are we going to miscarry? Oh my gosh. Like just panic you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so we went through the third round and it was Kyle won the championship and mm-hmm. we, we hadn't told anybody yet. And we were so excited. We're like, man, like we're going to maybe announce it like at the banquet, if everything's late, like it's kind of early. I don't know, but like, we're so like, we actually didn't talk about announcing it there, but I was like, everybody's going to know when I'm not drinking at your celebration party and and it was like man after like the hell we went through after the miscarriage like this is it like my book sold on Thursday he won on Sunday and then it was the following uh Wednesday or Thursday that we were gonna find out Mm -hmm. and I was like like this is our this is our fairy tale like Mm -hmm. we got through hell and here's our fairy tale and Mm -hmm. my boobs hurt so bad and I was like this is it like I'm so excited. And they called us and the nurse was just like trying, like trying to hold back. And she was like, I don't know how to tell you this, but you're not pregnant. And I was like, no, that's not possible. Like our embryos are like literally cause they do grading and I don't know how that works, but I'm like, they're the highest grade and I'm so healthy. And like, what do you, what are you talking about? Like, of, of course I'm pregnant. You're nuts. And she was like, we ran it twice. Mm. And she was like, we're, we're all so sorry. And I don't even remember. I just remember the phone dropped and Kyle picked it up. And and this time the miscarriage was so much sadness. And this time was so much anger, mm-hmm. like so much anger. Right. Because how um, could it not work, right? I'm sure that's what you were thinking. Exactly. I was like, what are you talking about? Like, I am... I eat clean. I work out five days a week. Like Mm -hmm. I have her nursery, like already all picked out and halfway done. Like, what are you Mm -hmm. talking about? So then we had to go in for what's called like a reoccurring pregnancy loss blood panel. Mm -hmm. And they were optimistic. They were like, okay, well, hopefully like this is going to show us what's wrong. We'll be able to put you on something and yada, yada. And, and, you know, it all work out because you have one girl embryo left. Mm -hmm. And the panels came back and they were like, okay, well, on paper, you are perfect. Mm. And I was like, then what is happening? And so I sat the doctor down and now we've worked at this clinic since Brexton. So, you know, six plus years now. And I looked him in the eye. I said, if it's you and your wife, what do you do? And he mm-hmm. goes, I get a surrogate. Mm. I said, okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so then I battled with this. I don't want to know her. It's going to be just very like, like just jealousy. and anger, but like all this sounds shitty. Obviously I'm super grateful mm-hmm. to a surrogate because they give their body up to another family. Mm-hmm. But I was so jealous and angry that it like I don't get to have my own baby. Um yeah, I get it. And that makes sense. And then we met with an agency and I was just like, you know what? No. This 
this doesn't feel right. Like, I feel like I'm rushing into it. I don't, you know, and so then we prayed about it and we took a step back and we talked about it openly. And um, we may have found a surrogate that we somewhat know Mm -hmm. and that I have a relationship with. Um, We're going through like all the testing right now, but I've gotten over the anger, that initial anger of like, this isn't fair. Why, why, why? And I'm able to see and like have some more clarity of, okay, like, yes, it hurts and it sucks and it's not fair. And I'm super grateful to this potential surrogate or any surrogate, but I don't want it to feel like a business transaction. I want to know her. I want to be there with her and have this more relationship and, and you know, you, you read about different ways. Some people, they Absolutely. hardly communicate with their surrogate. Our hopeful intended surrogate, she was like, we sat down and had dinner and planned out a birth plan that made us both so happy because we're both kind of like half crunchy granola people. <laughs> so, you know, um, yeah, that's where, that's where we're at. So okay. it's, it's, been, it's been a journey. Um, yes. you've been through so much and I can't tell you how appreciative I am and how everybody who's going to hear this will be of just your complete honesty, you know? And like you said, there's no right or wrong answer. You just have to do what's right for you and Kyle and your family. And I really appreciate, I know it's not easy sometimes to admit that, you know, you feel jealous or angry, but these are the things that we all feel when we're going through it. So I just, I really, really thank you for for going there and for, and for sharing that with us. Well, if I've learned anything through this, it's that God wanted me to talk about it. So yeah. yeah. One thing I'm confident in is, is he was like, you know, like after it happened, I was praying. I was like, okay, God, like really, I thought the miscarriage, like I was being a pretty big advocate about that, but now, right. now we're going to go to the surrogacy. Right. Like, right. What, what's happening? But you know what? I was like, it's, whatever. And I hate to use this because I hate this freaking saying so much, but like, it's all part of his plan. Like, I, yeah. and it's all what's meant to be. And I think that's one thing though, like you should never say to people cause it's awful to hear, but like you, you can tell yourself that and you can tell yourself like some days are going to be good and some days are going to be bad. And some days, you know, you're going to, feel like an awful person for the things that you're thinking or feeling, but you have to give yourself grace, whether it's because of the hormones or because of the situation. Somebody told me this once, like, you're not a bad person. You're a good person in a really shitty situation. Mm -hmm. And you can't come down hard on yourself Mm -hmm. because you already want to blame yourself so much for stuff. And, you know, I used, I don't know, you just, you have to love yourself during this yeah. because it's so easy to be so hard on yourself. Absolutely. Absolutely. I would love to hear more about your book. And then I know you said you wanted, to, you touched on some advice, but if you have any other, you know, specific things of advice you want to give, I'd love to include that as well. Yeah. The book I'm super excited about. Another, you know, thing that I like to tell people is journal. Journaling is kind of before I found a therapist I liked. Oh, and that's the thing too. You might go through three or four therapists before you find one you click with. And that's mm-hmm. totally normal and fine. But journaling was kind of my form of therapy through that time. And so, you know, I was just writing and putting my thoughts together. And I had put out a book proposal before actually the miscarriage after Brexit and gotten a no, 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 no. And I didn't know why. And now looking at it, like, oh, well, this is why, because 
my story was nowhere near done that many years ago. Mm. Um, it might not even be near done now, but right. you know, if I, it tells our story, but then in a way it also offers some practical advice and life lessons just by hearing what we did wrong or what I think we might've done right. Mm-hmm. Which the only thing I think we did right half the time is don't inject right under your belly button. That's the worst spot to go. <laughs> um, but like seeing somebody else, it's just a, it's a way for people to understand that all these emotions are real and they're valid and it's okay, it's okay to feel them. Sometimes you have to let them out too. You can't just keep burying them because you'll explode at some point on someone Mm -hmm. or something. So I'm excited about the book. It'll come out next year around this time. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you have a title yet? I think we're going to go with fighting infertility. Oh, nice. Um, Okay. And I use that title just because I feel like it has broken me apart so many times, but Mm -hmm. through the process and through the community and through our faith and through each other, each time I get put back together stronger. And that's an important lesson. I feel like infertility can break you. It can break your marriage, but you have to be a team. Mm -hmm. You have to communicate. And at the center of it, you have to love even when you're on Clomid and you feel like killing somebody like, (laughs) you know? Um, So I'm hoping that, you know, the book, it helps people. Um, Absolutely. And then the foundation. Yeah. We touched on that. We're super proud of it. We have lots of babies born. We do an annual play date where Brexton's the ringleader. So that's pretty cool. That's so cool. Yep. And we just hope that my goal over the next five years is to be in at least two to three more clinics mm-hmm. around around the country and then also to make a dent in insurance coverage because it doesn't matter if I fundraise $50 million a year. It would not put a dent in the number of couples that need help with funding to go through IVF. And right. so at some point, insurance needs to step up and realize that this is something that they need to help cover. Yeah, absolutely. It's so important that you're doing that. It's so good. You've got so many great things going on and I'm just praying for you guys too and wishing the best. I love watching your family on TV and on Instagram and there's so much love there. It's so obvious. So I really thank I can't you. I really can't thank you enough for doing this today. And same to you guys and you know, for your family and for you doing this thank and you. building this community. It's it's people that are willing to speak out and show the ugly side of it that will help future couples going through this, whether it's a year from now or 10 years from now. Right. I mean, look at how far of us trying in six, seven years, whatever it's been that this community has come, you know, how much more mainstream it is. And so when we continue to talk about it and continue to push for different, you know, rights or coverage, I'm just hoping that 10 years from now, people, you know, they don't feel embarrassed about it or they don't have to mortgage their house and work for jobs to pay for it because that's what we see through the foundation. Thank you guys for listening to my conversation with Samantha and Samantha. Thank you so much. I think everybody will really appreciate how honest you are and were about the ups and downs of what you guys have been through and I know you're still in the midst of it so we are rooting so hard for you guys for that next baby 
And in other news, we announced this week that our fertility rally is happening at Industry City in Brooklyn, which is an amazing venue. And it's going to be October 23rd through the 25th. The bulk of the programming will be October 24th, Saturday. So we're going to have a lot of great stuff. Definitely check out our Instagram at Fertility Rally and also our website, fertilityrally.com to sign up for updates. And we cannot wait to rally with you guys. Thanks so much. Talk to you next time.